Welcome to the Career Happiness Podcast. My name is Soma Ghosh. I am the founder of a business called the Career Happiness Mentor. And within this podcast, we explore themes around career happiness, confidence, well-being, and so much more. Not only do I do one-to-one personalized episodes to really, really support you as a listener, but you will have the chance to listen to really, really amazing guests from all corners of not just world, but different industries. It's really, really important that you are not only happy in your career, but you make time to progress in a way that feels right for you. So if you want to have more energy in your career, change your career, find out more about how to potentially start a business or even help your teenager with careers advice, this is the podcast for you. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. So we have Lou with us here today. Hi, Lou. How are you? Ciao. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited that you're with us here today. I know that I have been following you on LinkedIn for a while and we've connected and, you know, I just love your content and um, I learn a lot from your posts, Lou. Honestly, I do. But I wanted you to come on the podcast because I feel like what you have to share and what you do is really, really important. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, who you are and, and what you currently do, Lou? Oh, the question, the opening question. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think the easiest way to answer that would be like, say what I do with, with work. Uh, so I'm a business consultant, but I always love to say that I'm also non-binary and I'm from Sicily. So representing that side of the world. And right now I'm focusing on working with founders. So I work one-to-one with uh, business-to-business usually founders who are overwhelmed and stuck in their growth. So I help them getting unstuck. (laughs) So when you mean unstuck, let's unpack that a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about what what that looks like when a founder is unstuck? Because for me, when I think of unstuck, I think of someone who might be a bit confused, might be a bit like overwhelmed. What what comes up with the founders that that you help typically? So, you know, there are different reasons why someone might be feeling overwhelmed and, and stuck in the situation. But usually you feel like that when you've had problems popping up and you've not had time to catch up with them because mm-hmm. other things are taking priority and you, you just start to get into this cycle of trying to catch up, like when your business is getting faster than you are. And, you know, there is a lot of, frustration as well because you feel like you're putting in so much work but things are not moving fast enough or they're not giving the results that you want a lot of the founders I work with are typically people who want to grow the business they're doing very well Mm. in terms of sales if you want to measure that but there are many other things in the business that are requiring attention and they're not having the mental time and the mental energy to focus on that and it could be, it could literally be coming from so many different um, avenues, not only work, you know, sometimes it's also the private life that is getting in the way. So essentially, you know, when I started, it's, it's funny because at the start of this year, 
I actually was focused on working on culture transformation and team leadership. But I constantly like heard founders telling me, look, I'm struggling to do like the work because I'm so overwhelmed with this. And, you know, it started to become a current uh, common theme. And I realized that a lot of people have never learned um, how to be strategic with their time, with their focus, with their energies. I think it's also because they, they went straight from a job to building a business and they've been very successful with it. But that comes as a you know, double edged sword because they didn't have time to catch up with themselves. So mm -hmm. this is usually what it looks like. Yeah, the productivity piece is something I've had to learn a lot in my business over the past seven years. It's been, it's been, it's been quite a journey with me, um, especially navigating um, a chronic illness this year. Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot to deal with. Thank you for sharing that. That sounds really, really interesting. Hi, Billy. I forgot to even ask you. How are you feeling now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling a lot better. I think um, when you are diagnosed with an, an illness. <laughs> and you're a founder you have to manage that and you have to also take time out i mean do you also work with founders who might have an illness or might have to take yeah. time out for personal reasons what kind of advice do you give to them Lou? so this is the thing like the, the approach i have is one-to-one -one for a reason it's because every mm. single founder I, I get in front of me as i said is overwhelmed for different reasons so yes mm. i have um, I'm, i have active clients right now some of them have immune diseases or they might have mental illnesses or mm -hmm. they're fighting or, or they're trying to like come to terms with some neurodivergent uh, diagnosis so honestly it's like a big mix and mm -hmm. I love that they trust me to hold a safe space for them to design a business that works for their specific needs yeah. and I think that's where I love to work like now, you know, and I still do cultural transformation when it comes to helping them resolving issues with their teams. But I think the main big focus that we do at the start, it's about identifying why they're overwhelmed and what needs to change in their life in order to make their life happy, easy, energized, um, and being able to take a rest whenever they need, you know, it's, it's important. And so, yeah, like there is plenty I've definitely worked with plenty of founders that are in your position. But even before I did this job, I yeah. was in, um, in the events industry. I used to do operations management and had many, many, many teams. And many times I had uh, people with disabilities or people with uh, chronic illnesses, you know. And to me, it's just like every single person has different needs. So mm -hmm. there is nothing to be ashamed of, but it's important that you don't try to fit yourself don't measure yourself against certain societal rules that have been created only for a specific type of person mm -hmm. because otherwise you will always feel like you're lagging behind that you're not productive that you're not worthy that you could you should be doing more and, and and there is no point in doing that you're just like not enjoying the journey as you should because every journey is worth walking through and they all look different. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying there because it made me think of something about how uh, when I was diagnosed with my illness, I have endometriosis. I thought mm. that I've, I've just got I've got to stay the same as I am, and I've got to do all the things that I need to and work five days a week. And I almost call it Lou. I don't know what you think about this term, toxic productivity, where I'm being productive 
but I'm not actually, well, trying to be productive, but I'm not really doing the work that is, you know, necessary. And when I've been working with my mentor... I call this the busy procrastinator. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When I've been working with my mentor this year, she said to me, but so much you know, business mentor, you know that you need to at least maybe take an afternoon off when you're having a flare up or when something's going on with you. So actually, what I found is when I've been doing that, just things have naturally flowed more. And and do you find that with your clients when they slow down a little bit? So they're working smarter rather than, you know, working in a way that is burning them out. Yeah, but not only with my clients. I mean, there is plenty of research now showing mm-hmm. that, um more flexibility with work times that works around the needs of the person first actually does increase the quality of work the amount of work someone does the speed as well across the board like there have been plenty of studies in the past years that have shown that and i can definitely see that in my founders as well i actually you know one of my most recent clients went from making ten thousand pounds a month and by the end of our program together, which is like two months, she was making 30K a month with a third, working a third of the time that she was working at first. And she was scared at the beginning because I literally got her the first week. I was like, I looked at all of her work week and we're like, okay, we're gonna slash more than half of this. And she would look at me, she was like, are we? I'm like, yeah, it's going to happen. And I got her to hire someone she hired someone. Now she's in the position of hiring a second person in the span of five months. So, Brilliant. And she and the thing I love the most about this is how she's feeling. Mm. Because, you know, the point is some people like to work a lot. You know what I mean? Like, and, and also you can, you, can, you can totally go through periods as well. You can have periods yeah. where you want to work more and periods where you want to work less. And it's totally fine. And that is the point. It's not about – I don't go around telling people um, you should work less in general, you know. I just see what is causing them struggle and understand and propose them a different solution than what they've been doing to themselves so far. And founders specifically need to, like a big mistake a lot of founders make is that they don't shift from being the operator, like the person in the trenches, to being a strategic leader. Because you need to do that shift if you want to grow your business. Because you just can't do everything. You, you yeah. need to just let go of the idea that you can do everything because you, you shouldn't and and uh, and you can't physically like and mentally. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they definitely have I definitely seen that uh, work smarter, as you called it. Yeah. yeah, it definitely works. One hundred percent works uh, all across the board. You have much more control of your life, of your business clarity. My client, she feels a lot when she tells me, like, now I have time to read my romance books to go horse riding on the weekend she's like i had my first weekend off in months great mm. she even paid off her debt you know she she's uh dating a guy as well she got divorced and she's dating a guy you know like it's just mm. like she's living her life as it's supposed to be because mm. she thought and also i told her like that one of my goals for her was for her to get a holiday by the end of this year because she planned holidays next year because she was like this year I'm gonna just have to suck it up and work 24 seven. And that was not the case, you know, we worked together and now she's literally like planning holidays for December, for Christmas. She's gonna have a super switch off and I'm excited for her, you know what I mean? And yeah. 
yeah That's all those right. things are, yeah all those things are really really important Lou what you're talking about like holidays and just making sure you take time out for yourself to read you know I actually make sure that I try and I love movies and I watch a movie yeah. a week you know and I stopped yeah. doing that when I was working too much just for myself oh. in the evenings and I found just doing something as simple as that just relaxes me and calms me down after a busy work day but they're all all really really valuable things it's interesting because I know you talk a lot about overwhelm and you know I, I obviously work with clients who are overwhelmed they're burnt out and they kind of have this pattern of running on adrenaline yet you know they struggle to come out of this cycle I mean what three tips would you give to listeners who are maybe going through that right now and why do you think this is a cycle that keeps on repeating itself you know, not just with founders, but in workplaces as well? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lot of questions at once. So we start with the the tips. I actually give you a a little framing here because burnout and overwhelm are actually two different things. Mm. Um, Burnout is is literally a medical condition. Like you need, you should be visiting a therapist and and get signed off from work if you are burnout. If you're literally to to the breaking point, you need to take care of yourself. You need to ask for help. Um, but overwhelmed people uh, are people that just started to feel like that or they've been feeling like that for less than a year and they want to take active action, okay, to overcome this. Because, you know, when you are burned out, I think you are, in a, you are entering a mental illness space. And that is, um, it, it's a point where I don't think you should be working. I think you need to take a, a full break and and start therapy. So I want to make that dif- difference because thank I think you. They, yeah. get, they get interchanged a lot in the, in the discourse, and you know I always tell people, you know, I've had to, I had to turn down clients because they came down to me. They came to me saying I'm complete burnout. I don't remember when I have appointments. My brain is not working. All that kind of stuff. These are all symptoms that you are entering a mental illness stage. So mm-hmm. I've I've told them like you need to go to a, a therapist. You need to take a full break uh, there is no point in me keep adding work for you to do yeah. because you're not you're not gonna be it's not gonna be healthy for you so but for people that are overwhelmed uh yeah three tips well I, i'll definitely advise which is what i do with my clients to learn to control your focus strategically okay mm-hmm. and we were talking a little bit before the podcast me and you it's really crucial because it's um, it's almost like you need to be your own nice boss yeah. and really, in a way, I see it as a split of mental energy, okay? So you have a, a, an energy that goes to being strategic and planning and thinking what you need to do, how you need to do it, where it needs to happen. And then there is the execution energy, which is, I see it separate a separate kind of energy okay because and that's why i think a lot of people struggle with their to-do list for example because they try to tackle all mm. those energies at once so they have a task but then they need to think okay what do i need to do for this what do i need to do and then they also have to execute in the same day and i think that it's a lot of effort that you're putting on your on your uh, mind so being able to learn to control your focus uh, and therefore your energies super important and um, I would say a second tip would be definitely decolonizing your mind <laughs> 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 
from capitalistic productivity or toxic productivity, like you called it, or busy procrastination. Um, and this goes, you know, with really detaching your worth from your productivity, from your how much you produce. You need to detach that. You need to detach that. Because first of all, actually, when you're healthy and happy, you actually will make amazing work. You'll do great work. And you will advance. So that's taken care of. I think the important thing is like how you feel in, in, in the meantime, like how you feel in the journey, how you're living your life every day. Because we don't have any past and we don't have any future. We only have the present, right? So definitely detach your worth from your productivity because you are worth as a you are worthy as a human just because you are a living being. And that's a miracle on itself. And you, you know, the only reason why we feel like we have to work, we have to produce, we have to, is because we're forced to. Yeah. I mean, let, let's talk real, you know, like we're forced to. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's going to pay your bills if you don't do this. Mm. So we're technically forced to. And also we are brought up in a culture that tells us that we are, we, we have to produce. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know if you see like my mini rant uh, yesterday where I, I wrote a post about I'm kind of like a bit tired of hearing arguments for social justice that are related to economic value. Because, of course, if we need to measure, you know, there are, envir- there are contexts where measuring the economic power of a certain community, especially if they've been marginalized, is important. There are some contexts. But when it comes to, say, for example, women deserve a seat at the table because they can bring more money. I mean, that shouldn't be like the point of equal rights. The point of equal rights should be that we should all be equal, treated equally. Yeah. Just because we're all humans, not mm. because of what you produce. And I think that's important. And mm. which is, fun, you know, people don't expect me to say stuff like this because I'm a massive <laughs> worker and I've done so much in my life. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, yeah, but I'm actually the most laid back, chill person, you know, productive person you ever see. Um, <laughs> and the third thing I want to, people to live with, it's also to be, to practice mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I wasn't ready for, for a long time. But when I opened my mind to it, and I understood what mindfulness was, that's when I actually started to be grateful for my life. That's when I actually started to take decisions that were healthier for my body, for my mind, for my persona, for my career. Um, being mindful was for me like the key to being present and stay present and really be in the moment. And I think that's the most precious thing I, I've learned in the past few years. So yeah, these are my three tips. Do you need me to recap them? Because I know they went on tangents. <laughs> No, 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 no. They're really, really good, actually. I really like. I really like the last one, especially um, Lou, because this year I- I'm a big yoga fan. I do yoga regularly, and um, meditation and pranama actually got me through um, wow. my illness and my operations this year. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because if I don't do my meditation one day. I, I try to maintain doing five minutes of meditation, even if I don't practice yoga that day. Mm. Yeah, it just feels like my whole day is off balance. What What was the turning point for you? Because it's interesting you said that maybe there was a bit of hesitancy there or it took you time to come around to that. What would you say to people who are hesitant 
as well and why were you hesitant because I'm intrigued to know that a little bit more I think I wasn't ready to face I was really closed off. I don't know. I think like it was a mixture of not understanding exactly what mindfulness is. Maybe thinking that is wishy-washy. Also, you need to, you know, I'm white. So I always get the white version, the whitewashed <laughs> version of everything. So clearly at the end, I, I underestimated what this practice that comes from Hindu, um, Hindu practices and probably has a better name in Hindi, actually. I need to find. I need to find out. Actually, no, I should have known. I'm gonna write it down. I'm gonna a little bit. So I like to keep uh, adding terminology. So I need to learn. I don't know yeah. if you know it. Um, pranama is the breath, obviously, that we do, yeah. and the yogic breathing or meditation comes from yoga directly I don't know all of the ins and outs my yoga teacher is always teaching me and we always in fact when I interviewed her on my podcast we spoke about it's interesting that you mentioned this stuff because you, you, you've been doing the work we spoke about something called toxic spirituality where a lot of people dilute what it actually is so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. it's interesting interesting that you mentioned that um but yeah, no, it does come from Hinduism and yoga. Um, but yeah, it's, I think more people could benefit. And I recommend it to my clients as well, who are feeling burnt out, who are feeling overwhelmed. But just in general to everybody, I think all of us can benefit. It doesn't matter what you are, what you're doing. One of the things that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about, Lou, is what do you feel like founders and organizations can do to make the workplace not only inclusive but also diverse in a way that isn't just about numbers and following what society says mm. big question this is the big question of the past decade isn't it look i think that mm, i need to i need to start on a little bit of a tangent here okay so <laughs> i I really think that the push that we've seen for inclusivity, like in the past 10 years, was really connected again with this economic worth, economic sense. Um, and a lot of companies disingenuously went into it thinking, oh, if we diversified, it's going to be better for our marketing, it's going to be better for our economics, because there is data now that shows that it's more convenient financially. Mm. And this is why it doesn't work. <laughs> and this is exactly. why it's not working. Mm. <laughs> So I think from the start, there needs to be a genuine, and this starts from the founder, and this is literally why I work with founders, um, there needs to be a genuine involvement from the founders and or founder or founders and from the top executives in general, like these people need to be the first people to educate themselves. Hmm. I find it absolutely ridiculous that they are the people telling, appointing someone and be like, you do DI training for everybody but, but ourselves. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And that's why I don't do corporate trainings. And it's literally why. Like, I, I refuse to do corporate trainings because I refuse to partake in this facet, you know, like uh, this lip mm -hmm. service, personally. I don't blame people that do it. People go to eat and people go to practice. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I'm not saying don't do it at all. I'm just saying personally, I... I am someone that's just got to a point that I didn't want to partake in this type of uh, dynamic. And I, I think we need to hold founders accountable first. Yeah. And because they are the pulsing heart of culture. It's mm. not HR. <laughs> no. Nope. Okay. It's the founder. It's always the founder. And that's mm. why the more detached with reality a founder is, the more their company is going to be detached with reality. Mm. So I am a bit critical of this also because 
I really think that the, uh, the way we've been working on equality and inclusion, it's just not been, personally, I don't think it works very well with companies, yeah. simply because it requires a systemic change. So you need a full culture transformation shift, but you're not given the tools when you're a consultant, when you are a DI uh, employee, like you, you're not given the tools to do that. Yeah. You're just told, yeah, this is the room. You can do workshops. You can do post-it notes, sticky notes, you know? Like, that's not going to change <laughs> an entire <laughs> no. micro-society inside the company, you know what I mean? So mm. I think the main issue is the structures, the systems that we have. That's why I love I love um, system thinking. I'm, I'm very much an organizational designer type of person. Mm. And I absolutely uh, despise vertical hierarchies. I think yeah. they're outdated. I think they're absolutely blocking progress in terms of uh, equalities, but also in terms of like the way we do business, the way we do work. It could yeah. be so much more interesting than what we're doing right now. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big critical of corporations. And that's why you won't hear me saying, oh, yeah, you can do these trainings. This I'm, I'm just going to tell you, like, I'm personally, I think that uh, we need to see much more effort and it needs to be much more systemic and structural. Mm-hmm. I'll leave you with this. I love, I wanted to bring in this term that I learned from Shireen Daniels. I don't know if you yeah. follow her. Oh, yeah, she's yeah, great. love her. She's love the work she does. Yeah. yeah Rewired. She's amazing. And she's, she wrote a beautiful book, amongst other things called the anti-racist organization and in this book she makes a case for stop using the term diversity or considering to use the term diversifying Mm -hmm. so using this term as an action actionable verb you know and to indicate the action that needs to happen because the point here is not you know we assume when we talk about stuff like this it it really centers whiteness right like we're saying diverse from what you know that diverse from what Mm -hmm. what is the norm so it's almost like we, we keep accepting that cultural hegemony when actually diversification, personally, I think this is, this is my, I don't want to put words in uh, Shireen's uh, book. I don't know if she, <laughs> I think that essentially diversification is a symptom of yeah. good culture. Mm. So mm. like, it's almost like you shouldn't be like, for, like, uh, I mean, you should ask yourself why you don't have a diversified workforce and start from there. The work is not done by diversifying the team. The work is done by attracting diversified talent. The work is done by retaining diversified talent. Yeah. The work is, you know, that's the work. The work is not diversified, if you think mm-hmm. about it, because we've seen it plenty, you know, we've seen plenty of uh, black people, for example, denouncing how they've been treated at work after they've been hired, yeah. praised and all that, and then they've been, put in a cage of lions, you know, essentially, for yeah. example, like there is plenty of like evidence that uh, it just doesn't work. You can't just like hire different people and, and expect, oh yeah, mm. everything's going to be fine, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Like that, yeah. That's it. I've done my work. Now <laughs> give me the money, you know, <laughs> I, I don't like hypocrisy. I don't like hypocrisy and I don't like hypocrisy, mm. hypocritical cultures yeah. and societies. So I'm, a, as you can tell, I'm quite, think I will tell you what I think. So uh, yeah, uh, I think, uh, you know, yeah, just focus on doing the right work. Hmm. And this is valid for everyone, not only the yes, I've definitely. seen like lots of uh, female-led companies. Now, I hope I'm not going to get 
killed for same female. Yeah. But essentially, yeah. like what I want to say is like they start with very good premises of like wanting to create inclusive places for women. Yeah. But then, yeah. then their womanhood, it's only cis heteronormative. It's only for yep. certain type of women. Maybe they mm-hmm. have a family, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then you're like, well, you're just repeating the same structures that mm-hmm. were discriminating you in the first place. You're doing exactly yeah. the same because you mm-hmm. are hindering also your capacity of enriching oh, yeah. your, your understanding and culture and company mm-hmm. by employing different type of people. So if you, are, if you say that you're pro-women and you only hire white women cis, like they're cis they're heterosexual and you know and that's and that's you mm-hmm. thinking that you're doing social justice no you're not and i'm gonna hold yeah. you accountable for it like i literally like i had clients this year where they told me oh i'm thinking to hire this person as their first hire for example and i was like why mm-hmm. and they tell me and i'm like okay so you're hiring for a cultural fit mm-hmm. and then be like well yeah like i thought that i should hire for a culture fit and i'm like no you need to hire for a culture ad you yeah. need to hire for people that will surprise you they will challenge mm-hmm. you they will mm-hmm. bring you new things to the table because it, it not only makes the work more fun but it also makes more sense in because innovation in companies is extremely important especially now that it's more competition Yeah. You need people that can think by themselves. You don't need minions. You don't need mini mares, you know? Like you don't need people that are like you. You need people yeah. that are different from you. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting points you made there. It's interesting when you're talking about the organizations that are, you know, very female led. I've had it, I've had very interesting experiences like that. Um I'm not going to name the organization, but I actually no. sent an email through <laughs> and I felt like it was very cliquey. It's a very big organization. And I sent them an email. And of course, they sent me an e- email saying, oh, Shoma, we'll invite you for this or invite you for that. And the damage was already done because I felt as though they were excluding me as a brown woman. But they were also excluding me because I don't have children. So it was two things. Yeah. And that's the thing that I talk a lot about online, that when you're child free whether it's by choice or not you're you almost you're almost victimized as a result of it and you shouldn't be know, you shouldn't right? have to justify it you shouldn't have to justify it Lou should right? you really I mean yeah. I, I don't consider you know I don't see myself uh I don't associate myself with the concept of womanhood but yeah. I constantly get <laughs> I in fights with people for this because I'm like yeah. no I don't want kids I don't want them and people yeah. are like oh you change your mind Oh, uh, oh, but you need to find the right person. Oh, yeah. and, and I'm like, are you serious? Is that, yeah. do you use yeah. the same invalidating statements to everyone? Like, It's interesting that you were saying that, but also you made me think of something that I was discussing with my friend just last night. We were talking about board directors and how board directors are usually, I'm going to say something controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway, <laughs> um, you know, white men or white women at the top and there's hardly any kind of not even diversity there's hardly any cultural backgrounds that show representation of what the organization down below is and that can really be quite triggering for people who go for interviews and they have bad experiences I've had clients Lou who they tell me oh yeah everything looks brilliant because the board members are what you know great and then They go to the company for an interview and they're completely deflated because they're a brown or black person. And that also is something that needs to be addressed, I think, because culturally yeah. it looks great. But then when you go into the organization, there's a misrepresentation. I'm sure 
I'm sure you know what I'm talking about when when yeah. I'm talking about this. But yeah. Even just think like how many people with an accent here in business podcasts, for example, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, sometimes I'm like, hey, why is everybody only native English speaking here? Like, yeah. <laughs> where is all the other, where is all the rest? I mean, yeah, and, and, and there is, I've had clients who've experienced that and I'm sure you've experienced that as well. And that can be, and that doesn't, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't use my full name. You know that this is not my full name. Oh, oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I okay. changed it years ago because I realized if I had a more English Italian sounding name, then I would get interviews faster. Wow. Isn't that yeah. so many people who are, you know, because I'm, I'm South Asian, but a lot of South Indian people mm. have to shorten their names because they have yeah. very long surnames. And that's also not right. Oh, <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's so not right. Yeah, you're you're changing your identity to fit the mold. That's a very good point. One of the other things I wanted to ask as well is, you know, when I'm working with um, clients, you know, I see workplace culture being something that many people don't consider when they enter a job role. How important do you think someone's workplace culture is beneficial to their career growth and overall personal development? Like as someone that didn't take care of this at the start, I 100% recommend. I mean, I know that it takes a bit more effort and potentially not everybody has the privilege to wait. So I yeah. understand that, especially if you're an immigrant like me, you don't have a choice. You have to take yeah. the job, you know. Mm. So I understand that. But at the same time, I would strongly encourage people to, to build cash reserves for themselves. I think mm. that's the most important, actually. Yeah, I'm going to go into financial advice one sec. <laughs> <laughs> I think at least six to, especially with the current job market, probably between six to 12 months cash reserves to cover your expenses. Yeah. Build that fund. Build that fund. Because if you have that, the minute mm. you're going to be discriminated at work, yeah. you can do two things. One, you just say, no, I'm not going to put up with this buy. Mm. And so you have the freedom to do that. Or two, you start to fight back and you record every single incident, every single thing, and then you get them to court. Mm. Because we need to start calling this stuff out. And mm. it's, it's happening. You know, there is much more. If you look at the tribunal for workplace harassment and abuse claims, it, it's, it's huge numbers now, much yeah. more than ever. And mm. I hope that people keep taking charge of this and say no and put a stop. But I also understand, you know, I've also been in the position myself where I didn't have a choice. I didn't feel like I had a choice because I didn't have money. I had yeah. to work in order to survive. I was scared I wouldn't find another job fast enough. I mm. was scared of retaliation. I was scared they wouldn't write me a recommendation letter for another job because that's also another, this is also something, a practice that I absolutely hate. Like, why would you ask someone uh, that just left a workplace at their previous employer recommendation. You know, you don't know what happened. You don't know why that person left. Yeah. So, you mm. know, essentially, yeah, I think it's extremely important for people's personal growth and the mental health specifically, because you will never, you will never, like, you know, you think that, oh, okay, but it's a really good job for my career. It's not worth your mental health. It's yeah. not worth your mental health. It's not worth your the effort that you're going to put in it because they're just going to take it from you. They're yeah. not going to give you promotions. They're not going to treat you well. So what is the point of giving them your precious time and mm. effort and talent? And um, 
yeah, so I think it's important. But obviously, mm -hmm. this is the thing. How do you know? Yeah. If you have a group culture or not. And I think the only way that you can truly know is by speaking to people that are actually working there. Yeah. Like behind the employer's back. Like, yeah. Yeah. Don't ask your employer to, because they will send you minions. They will send oh, you yeah, 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 definitely. Or definitely. they will send you people that are also scared to, mm. you know, to yeah. say something. So find people and ask them confidentiality. Can you tell me? We need to start to organize each other more. Like we really come together more as a community and share information. Mm. You've seen Glassdoor, for example, Glassdoor reviews. Uh, oh, it's yeah. very hard now because a lot of employers are forcing their employees to write good reviews. Oh, God. So, happens it totally happens i've met people that have to do it like I've, i i literally it it happens so you can't really trust a lot of the internet either so yeah. i always recommend find people that work in there speak with them ask them human to human to spare you from, <laughs> from yeah tell, tell you if you if you should spare yourself yeah, yeah. nice very it's interesting what you're saying and i think uh, I, I always say that to when my um, clients to make sure that you're talking to people confidentially to get proper insider knowledge without anybody else knowing because usually you get into situations like that. And I've worked in a job previously where I remember I, I was asking people, but they were told to not say certain things. They'd, had, they'd signed agreements. So when I ended up in that toxic workplace, it was too late. And then I left three months later. So it's one of those things where you've got to do your homework a bit. Thank you for sharing that. It's very, very interesting. Why do you think that people misunderstand or don't want workplaces to be inclusive for people who identify as non-binary? And why are some people still not willing to accept people who don't fit the traditional gender norms? I mean, you should ask this to them. I have no idea. My my experience is that people who can't be free, yeah, they, they don't accept other people's freedom. That's, that's how I see it, you know. Like <laughs> because even I had to educate myself on trans people. Okay, like I'll tell you this one. It's a funny story hmm. because I grew up in a place where the word trans didn't really exist like they were it was just a pejorative to say men like transvestites you know like men yeah. who like to dress as women and uh are prostitutes that's literally the, the whole wow. knowledge I had growing up of what a trans person is it was that and also no shade to sex workers because I think if it's regulated and it's safe I have uh, nothing against uh, sex work uh, of course, as well as yeah. safe and and uh, and uh, you know consensual, but apart from that, um, yeah, you know. So even for me, like I was, you know, I grew up feeling like I don't understand why everybody treats me differently from my brother. So my brother is a, as a male, you know, seen as a male, he identifies as a male, hmm. and he, you know, I, when, when I was very little, that was for me like starting to be extremely heartbreaking to see that I would get treated differently, even though I was the first born. So I felt like I had more rights to be treated better. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of felt like he always would get a different kind of treatment and more, much more freedom for a lot of things, uh, but less freedom for others, for example. He definitely had more pressures on other aspects like, you know, productivity, work and stuff like that. So. I can see also how, you know, 
gender binary influenced him in a bad way as well. Mm. Um, but, you know, I kind of grew up like feeling, I don't know why I feel so different from everybody else's because everybody says that I should be a girl, like not, not says that explicitly, but, you know, all my girlfriends, they yeah. were all like, oh, but why don't you want to use makeup blue? Or why don't you want to look cute? Or why don't you want to look at the boys with us? You know, for example, like there was a lot of like, realizing that I was different, I had different needs, different desires. Yeah. But at the same time, I knew that I didn't feel like really attuned with the boys also because I grew up mm. in a place that is highly chauvinistic. So yeah, and patriarchal. So the type of boys I was uh, exposed to when I didn't have a choice when I was younger, you know, classmates and stuff, these people were damaged young adults already. They were damaged young men already, like extremely like aggressive and, you know, sexualizing women, objectifying, all that kind of stuff. And it was a very cis heteronormative culture as well. So yeah, hmm. it took me a, a while, I would say, like I always felt that I was like, I had my own independent mind. That's how I felt. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't have the terminology for it. And I think it wasn't until I was 21 years old that I've read an article by a non-binary person saying how it was for this person to feel, to, to grow up as a non-binary person and what it meant to them. And that's the first time I actually read someone talking about this and, and really recognizing myself in the words of this person like word by word i'll never forget it because i actually cried my eyes out <laughs> yeah. and uh, and that's when I, I was like okay that's i want to describe myself with that term because it, it helps me um backing up the way i am without yeah. shame and also because it, it might help more people to find their, that they're not alone in feeling like this because i grew up feeling super lonely and that's not a feeling that i recommend <laughs> like, you know yeah. i think i think people just need to I, I think it's always like you you are you you do to others what you do to yourself yeah so in a way i have a lot of compassion for people that are transphobic uh ironically because <laughs> i think it's just they're limiting themselves yeah because you know if you if you are free in your gender and gender expression, if you're happy the way you call yourself, the way people treat mm -hmm. your dressing, if you're happy with that, why would you not want that for someone else? It's like we all have different names. We all have different um, ways of expressing ourselves. So there is a, an element of self-hatred, I think, when people hate other people. I think you also hate yourself uh, because you can't be like that, you know? And then we have a scene that taught us to hate the different, to, to hate the whatever, you know, whatever sticks out, you know, and there are tons yeah. of experiments on this as well. I don't know if you know the famous, the famous experiment of the, is that the four monkeys, I think? No, I've not heard of this. Sounds very interesting, though. You want me to tell you? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. There is, um, I can't remember the full context of this, but like, uh, essentially the experiment was four monkeys, they have four ladders to go up to, and three out of the four monkeys would be sprayed with very hot water while they were trying to climb up the, the ladders to get some bananas or something. Mm -hmm. And they kept being sprayed and only one of them was the one that wasn't getting sprayed and she was trying to like climb this ladder. And apparently the, all, the, all the monkeys started to drag that person down, the, the, wow. that monkey down. They didn't want that monkey to go up because they couldn't. They didn't have the chance to do it. 
And so they started to drag it down, drag it down. And then what they started to do was to swap a, a raging monkey with a new monkey they didn't know about. And till they literally arrived to swap all the four monkeys. So there were four totally new monkeys that never been sprayed before. They wow. still have to climb the ladder. And all of these monkeys start to like argue with each other and stop each other from climbing the ladder. A fear factor because of rules, because of structures. So I don't blame people for being socialized the way they are because I was socialized in the same way. Yeah. I was socialized yeah. to be afraid. And that's why I've been in a sort of half closet because, you know, one way in my mm -hmm. head I said, I said, oh, I don't have anything to hide. I'm bisexual. People know I had friends, you know. But then on the other hand, I would never, I would boycott, like sabotage every single female relationship, like almost relationship, or I would not go in public with my female partners, for example, during the day. There were things that I was hiding from myself because I didn't feel safe. And I also never went to queer spaces until the past couple of years because I told myself I didn't need them because I had internalized uh, homophobia. I had internalized yeah. homophobia still, and I was still not recognizing it in myself. So this doesn't happen. It's not like that you are non-binary like me, and all of a sudden you have, <laughs> you know, like a light bulb moment and everything is resolved. No, of course, we all have to do their work. Or we yeah. all have to do it. So, you know, I, I also did the work of trying to understand why transphobic people are the way they are, and I try to give compassion as much as I can when, when I can because it's hard <laughs> yeah no it is hard and, and and hearing you has really kind of made me realize that I think all not all not only do all of us need to do the work but we've got to be open to it that analogy that you used it, it, it reminded me of something I was talking about with the previous guest when we were talking about tall poppy syndrome it's even when people are doing well yeah. people are still dragging people down you know <laughs> so we've got to be all kinder to each other it's it's interesting. One one more thing that I want to ask you, Luke. Can you 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 um, mentioned Shireen's book? But is there a book that you could recommend so that people can learn a bit more about all the kind of things that we've been speaking about, especially to the tune of you know representation for um, queer society or non-binary? Um, because I feel like you know I could do with reading a book to learn more but even the audience listening as well might benefit as well if they want to learn more can you recommend something yeah I mean you mean specifically to non-binary people to gender binary yeah no I think it would be helpful for people to maybe learn a little bit more so that we can know a bit more I think yeah yeah I think I mean it's a hard question because there is not a lot yeah I know I think one of my favorite uh, authors, they, they are um, Alok uh, Vaid Menon, which also they are American, half American and I believe half Indian as well. And they, they live in the States though. And they went to Stanford, I think, I believe. They're amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, I think I've heard of this person. Yeah, yeah. And they mm. wrote a few books. And I think one of the most approachable and easy to read and very you know, pocket size is called Beyond the Gender Binary. And that's one of my favorite books on being non-binary and what it actually means to just like liberate yourself from gender norm. And um, yeah, I mean, that's a good start. But I would say like, just just buy from non-binary authors, just buy, there is always, now in bookshops, like most bookshops in the UK, 
Hmm. Most of them have a trans and queer section. Yeah. Um, I've been finding them a lot in Edinburgh and that actually, obviously there is always the same authors because there is not a lot. <laughs> so yeah. That, that little that is there, I would say is a good starting point. Just start mm-hmm. there. Just go to a nice library, you know, uh, a library and just like a bookshop and just, uh, just, you know, just fall in love with the, with the covers and just decide what yeah. to read. Some books are a bit more maybe on political reform. Some books yeah. are more about stories and history and trans lives and some books are more about poetry and yeah you know so they're all different uh things obviously there is not a single monolith probably someone should write a guide at some point i guess <laughs> but definitely i would say yeah. just start from that just start from exploring and 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 do little steps you know you don't have to learn yeah. everything on one day but i think yes. you're gonna find a lot of um i think you're gonna find that a lot of the non-binary about books about non-binary people are actually going to speak to you much more than you think yeah nice very very interesting thank you Lou you've been absolutely brilliant as a guest where can people connect with you where can people find you LinkedIn always LinkedIn Lou awesome awesome thank you thank you so much Thank you so much for listening to the Career Happiness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media or with somebody you know it will make a significant difference to. And remember, if you haven't already, please take some time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much.